Time to Talk with host Jennifer Graziano of Zion Memorial Chapel and Cox and Graziano Funeral Homes. Jennifer is here to discuss a sensitive subject we all need to talk and think about. Here now is Jennifer Graziano and Time to Talk. Good morning, Westchester. It's 9 a.m. on Monday, and that means it's time to talk with me, Jen Graziano. I'm a licensed funeral director who oversees my family's funeral homes, Cox and Graziano of both Americ and Greenwich, and the Zion Memorial Chapel of Westchester. Every Monday, I come to you discussing important topics and sensitive matters that all of us need to pause and reflect upon at some point. And through this show, I hope to provide a platform to do so. If you're joining us this morning on 1460, a Whitney Global Media Station, we will take your questions, comments, and calls to 914-636-0110. Hello to Vinny in the control room and everyone else joining you in there. And good morning, Facebook Live viewers with Tim Judge, man behind the camera from GreenwichLocal.com as well. Happy to have you on the air. It is spring, a little too cold for that, but nonetheless, spring is here. Renewal, time to dust the cobwebs off and start again. So with that on the line, I am joined by Dr. Paul Cavaluzzi, who practices geriatric medicine. He's a geriatrician in White Plains. And I really want to highlight today what a geriatrician does, how the geriatric medical model differs from a more aggressive and interventional approach. And we want to really discuss ways to maintain optimal health as we age, as we are getting on in years, how we can still maintain that optimal health and connecting to the right physician to do so. So Dr. Paul Cavaluzzi, good morning. Good morning, Jen. How are you? I'm wonderful. Thank you. Great to have you back on air with us. I really do think what you're doing um, it is wonderful and perhaps not uh, not as well known as it should be. So I really want to talk today and begin by what is a geriatrician, doctor? Well, a geriatrician is a physician that goes on to do extra training uh, to study uh, illnesses that are common in, in seniors. So after medical school and after doing a residency in either internal medicine or family family medicine, a physician goes on and does a fellowship in geriatric medicine. And they spend another year or two, depending upon the uh, program, uh, studying illnesses that are are common in in seniors. Is there um, an average age or a threshold age that you treat or or what qualifies being able to uh, be in a geriatric medical practice? Most geriatricians I know will take 65 years of age and, and older. Okay. Yeah. So, and, and so rather young. So we're, we're talking about, you know, a doctor geared towards seniors, but you know, young seniors, 65 is incredibly young today. And, I, and I'm right. assuming the goal then is to be on this trajectory of optimal health and developing this relationship with the physician so that you are maintaining your best health and lifestyle as you progress from that age of 65. Absolutely. Right. And, and you, you know, I, I think what, what geriatricians do is they kind of have to look at the whole picture. So you might have that 65 or 75 year old that, that has uh, congestive heart failure or emphysema uh, or maybe bad arthritis, maybe some cognitive deficits, and it's it's looking at all of that. It's looking at the the whole picture and having and and um, making helping the patient to make decisions about how best to move forward, considering everything. 
you know, there's a, there's a social emotional component to that as well. When you're looking at the whole picture, um, you really have to be involved in the lives of your patients and really have a good assessment as to who they are and the external and environmental factors that are contributing to their health as well. Is that correct? Yeah. And, and what their wishes are, you know, and that's, that's part of what you have to do is, is understand what their wishes are and what their wishes would be should they ever lose capacity to make decisions down the, the road. Um, and so it's important to understand what their wishes are. And it's important then also to, you know, sometimes bring family members in or people close to them, bring them in too. So they understand too. So um, to, to just give an example, I mean, if you have somebody, let's say, who maybe has some, some chronic kidney disease, it's not severe enough where they need dialysis, but they, they um, have some, some chronic kidney disease. Um, it's important to understand what their wishes would be, let's say, if the disease ever progressed to the point where they would need dialysis, right? What would their wishes be about that? What would their wishes be about dialysis? Would you ever want dialysis? Do they understand what dialysis is? Um, do, do they understand the implications of that? Um, so it's getting to know your your patient and understanding what their wishes are. This way, down the road, if they ever do lose capacity, which does happen a lot, where where uh, one may lose capacity to make decisions, that you can use the knowledge that that you or the opportunity to get to know your patient a little bit better uh, and understand what their wishes are to help you know to ensure that their wishes are respected and um, to advise the family of that too. There's so many different angles that I want to cover with you today, doctor. Let's talk about um, the commonalities that you see in your practice. Are there, you know, a, a top three, if you can say the top three health concerns, if you had a, you know, weigh the averages, top three health concerns that are, are most prevalent amongst your patients. Um, do you see a difference um, by age as we go 60s, 70s, 80s, do those top health concerns shift or top health problems change? Um, what do you what do you find most prevalent within the patients of your practice? Well, if I had to think about it, I, I think one thing that a lot of the younger population that I take a, a care of is is their cognitive health and whether or not they're they're you know may develop dementia down the road uh, and um, wanting to, um, if possible, uh, take steps to um, try to prevent that. We have so I, I do see that, uh, and I think as as the the patients that I see that are older, um, I think they you know the the focus and you had mentioned this this earlier when you were talking a little bit about um, how aggressive one should be. I think what I see in the older population that I take care of is wanting to be sure that they're wishes are more respected towards the end and that um, their quality of life is taken into consideration too. So, so let's go there because I think that's a great segue. Um, quality, quality of years versus quantity. Um, in the book, I reference uh, Being Mortal. I mentioned it on the earlier show today and I had read that book and it was one of the reasons I had reached out to you the last time you were on the show because the book written by a doctor really illustrates you know, the Western medical model that is often very aggressive and interventional in treatment and to what end. So if you're going to be doing invasive procedures on somebody of an advanced age, are you really adding time? Are you really adding quantity of days, months, and years 
or are you running the risk of detracting the quality of the time that is left? So where do you fall on the lines of aggressive interventional invasional medical approaches uh, with patients who are in advanced aging? Well, you know, it, it's, it's really not, not my call. My, it's, it's my patient's call. And what I try to do is respect their autonomy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so the, the answer is different for different patients. Um, I have some people who, um, let's say at a younger age, don't want to go for any more cancer screening. Uh, and I have patients um, at an older age who not only want to go for more screening, but if they were to get cancer, that they wanted to be more uh, aggressive about it. Now, to your point, yes, we have to, you know, part of what, what geriatricians will, will do is sit there with their their patients and make them aware, um, you know, in conjunction also with the other doctors, like let's say if we're talking about something, uh, a cancer diagnosis, um, having that conversation also with their oncologist too. Um, about you know what treatment would be, what treatment would look like, what your quality of life may look like, uh, and then yes, what what um, what your life expectancy would be if you would go forward with this treatment, and what your life expectancy would be if you wouldn't go forward with this this treatment. So there's really no one answer that applies across the board. You kind of have to get to know your patient, like we were saying before, get to know your patient, get to know what their wishes are, looking at what their quality of life is now. Um, and then helping them make those decisions, and there's lots of different things, but there's helping them make those decisions um, as you're confronted with these, these different um, scenarios. So cancer screenings, one, do you want to go for further colonoscopies? Do you want to go for further mammograms? Do you, do you want to do these things? Um, so you have to look at, um, okay, if we have a positive finding, what would we do about it? Um, and what would your wishes be, too? And I have patients that kind of fall on on both sides of the spectrum where some just no, nope, no more that this, uh, you know, I don't care really if, if, if I, um, uh, you know, and growing a cancer, let's say I've had a good life. I'm okay. And I have others that want to be more uh, aggressive. So you have to, you have to sit there and get to know them and, and, um, make them aware of what those risks and benefits are of screening and treatment, depending upon what you're speaking. Of. So the geriatric model is not necessarily non-invasive and non-interventional. It's really, it, it, it runs the gamut and it's really patient dependent. It's understanding your patient, understanding all the physical, emotional, and mental and external factors that comprise their unique situation and treating accordingly, laying out the pros and cons of both sides and taking their wishes into account. Um, but it's not necessarily a less invasive approach to medicine. Right, exactly. It's not necessary. And and I think what geriatricians, part of what geriatricians train to do is it's not so much, you know, what's the best treatment for their, their heart failure. It's not so much what's the best treatment for their emphysema. It's, it's how do you manage somebody who's 75, has heart failure, has emphysema, uh, maybe has kidney disease, has bad arthritis, which impairs their ability to walk, and maybe has some cognitive deficits or some mild dementia, too. How do you look at all of that? And, and how do you manage that going forward? So, um, you know, to your point and to kind of what we're discussing here, if you have somebody, let's say, with very advanced Alzheimer's disease, mm-hmm. okay, um, their life expectancy um, likely is, is it's not very long just based on, on how the illness progresses, right? And now let's say if they get to a point where um, they need dialysis, 
Oh, okay. Dialysis in a demented person um, can be very traumatic, and oftentimes it is. Um, they can get agitated. This is something that they're going to have to do multiple days a week. So do you want to subject your loved one to, you know, having to go to the dialysis center three days a week when they have another illness, the Alzheimer's disease, let's say, that is advanced and close to end stage, and their life expectancy might not be that much longer. So to what you're saying, to your point before, um, at what expense are we going to prolong this person's life? You know, what type of quality are they going to have? They're not really going to have a great quality of life, um, you know, given it, if they have to go on the dialysis. So those are things that we have to look at. And yes, um, it, it's not so much a less invasive approach across the board. That answer is different depending upon the situation and what the patient's wishes are. Patient dependent. So if you're just joining us on air on 1460 WVOX, or on Facebook Live, I am speaking with Dr. Paul Cavaluzzi, a physician in White Plains who specializes in geriatric medicine, which is an advanced training uh, beyond medical school to really dive into the issues that impact us as we age. And wonderful information so far. But doctor, we've, we've now hit on the word dementia a few times. We've talked about, uh, we've touched upon cognitive ailments, cognitive decline. We see more and more of this nowadays. Um, are you starting to find that cognitive impairments are coming on at a younger onset? Again, with 60s being young, are we seeing more of that? And if so, what are the factors that are being identified as contributing to the, to the increased cases of cognitive impairments? So I'm not so much seeing people present at a younger age um, I think what you have to remember is that there's a population shift too. Um, so we just have more and more, more and more people that are becoming older just based on the population shift in this country. So mm -hmm. as such, you're going to see more cases of dementia. It doesn't, um, so although the absolute numbers may be increasing, the percentages might be the, the same. Um, so I'm not necessarily seeing it at, at a younger age. Um, but yes, that is something that that I know a lot of my patients are, are concerned about. And I mean, to a certain extent, as you get older, you know, I, one question I do get is, well, when do I have to worry? You know, like I forgot where I put my car keys yesterday. Does that mean I have dementia? Do I have to worry? You know, if you or, you know, and oftentimes the patients don't have insight into this. Usually it's, it's family members that might pick up on this more so. But if you find that your loved one's memory problems are really impacting their day to day, their, their ability to function on a day to day basis. So their ability to care for themselves, uh, just very basic stuff like bathing and toileting and dressing and you know, driving if they're doing that, still food shopping, paying bills. Sometimes that's a, a very sensitive indicator as to whether or not there may be some cognitive impairment where you go to see mom or dad and you realize that the electric is turned off because the bill hasn't been uh, uh, paid. Um, sometimes that's a clue that um, that somebody might be having some cognitive in impairment. Or you find out they're not taking their medications, right? And and you say, well, mom, that happened. You're not taking your, your meds. And sometimes we think, well, they're not taking their medications because they don't want to. And sometimes that's not the case. Sometimes that's a sign that there may be some cognitive impairment and they're not taking their medications because they're not remembering how to. So Now, we hear um, that, I mean, w once the once the impairment sets in, are there things that can be done to slow the process down? Um, we've heard uh, a lot about certain foods that we eat as certain diets and certain foods that can help 
all different aspects of our of our body and our health. Um, but is there a diet that can be done? Are there cognitive mental exercises that can be done, such as doing crossword puzzles, reading books, doing more to keep sharp? Once this starts, is there anything we can do to to stop this rapid decline down the slippery slope? So it, it depends upon what what type of dementia we're speaking of. So just to back up a little bit, there are different types of, of dementia. So, okay, dementia is kind of a uh, broad term. So right. there are Alzheimer's types dementias. There are vascular dementias. Mm-hmm. There are dementias that are associated with Parkinson's disease. Um, and then there were some other types of, of dementias. And um, this is why sometimes it's, it's also helpful um, to go for a workup in the beginning. Um, and the workup consists of um, having blood um, having blood work drawn, getting brain imaging done, um, sometimes going for what's referred to as neuropsych testing or neuropsychological testing. Um, and um, kind of all of this, the neurologist will then sit there and kind of put all of this together uh, and kind of come up with, yes, the diagnosis that somebody might have dementia, but then also what type it is. Um, so, I mean, we, there's not really much that we can do, let's say, for like an Alzheimer's type of, of dementia. Um, now, if you have a vascular type of dementia, so vascular dementia is a dementia that kind of gets caused because of poor blood flow to the brain. You mm-hmm. can think of it that way. I'm trying to sort of put it in in um, simple terms. It, and the, the same vascular damage that happens, let's say, to the blood vessels of the heart, okay, um, if, if that disease process builds over time, you can have a heart attack. Okay, um, and so that same damage that can happen to those blood vessels happens to the blood vessels in the brain too. And if that burden of damage builds up, um, you can develop a type of dementia that's referred to as like a vascular dementia. Um, what we do in that situation is we try like we do know that there are certain things that lead to vascular disease, uh, uncontrolled blood pressure, uncontrolled diabetes. Um, so what we try to do is modify some of what we refer to as the vascular risk factors. Um, and then possibly we might be able to either slow down um, that that process. If you're dealing with like an Alzheimer's dementia, unfortunately, there's not really much that, that as of now um, we have that's definitively been, been shown to kind of um, slow down that uh, process. What about beforehand? I mean, in our in our 30s, 40s, and 50s? Are, are there anything that is any suggestions or, or any wisdom out there of things we can do to keep our cognitive health intact as we age? That, that remains to be seen. And there's a lot of research that, that's ongoing now um, in, in, in terms of what, if anything, we can do. What, what, you know, what causes Alzheimer's and, and what, if anything, can we do at a younger age to maybe try to prevent that from happening? But at this point in time, we're not really there. Okay. And do you find um, genetic markers, hereditary markers? Um, is it likely that this is a trait that's passed down, that if your parents or grandparents um, suffered from uh, cognitive impairments, that likely you'll be impacted? Um, there is a genetic form which is more prevalent, which happens at a younger age. Um, genetics do play a role. There are some some genes, but it's not necessarily an absolute that if you have certain genes um, that you're going to get Alzheimer's. So it, it, there are some other factors there. Too. Okay. So, you know, I think above all, uh, again, we're talking about aging. We're talking about also receiving proper medical care, as you can see. 
um, we're speaking with Dr. Cavaluzzi, a geriatrician who's so well versed in um, in the aging process, what starts to happen, um, treatment, preventative treatment, um, also making you aware of your options. I really stress the importance of connecting to the right physician. And in the geriatric medical model, they're really just giving you all of your options, showing you pros and cons, and really getting an understanding of the patient as a whole. And as you mentioned, doctor, what your preferences would be, because there is a significant difference between 65 and 85, or, you know, at any given moment, a health crisis could set in. And if it does render you unable to make these sound decisions, it's important to have documented what you want, what you would want in case of the emergency. And I always say the hardest part is you have to think about these hard things and hard scenarios when you're happy and healthy. So, but nonetheless, important that we really take the time today to make sure that we're connected to the right people in life, including our physicians. Um, how important, Dr. Cavaluzzi, is keeping mobile exercise, even if it's like 20 minutes a day, but keeping the body mobile, muscle memory, um, how important is that to your, do you explain to your patients? It's very important. Um, it's very important to uh, stay active. Um, it, then there are certain exercises. So one thing that, um, that can lead to um, a decreased quality of life, obviously, are things like falls mm -hmm. and fractures. And nobody wants that, right? Nobody wants to get a, a, a hip fracture or an arm fracture or what have you. And um, one thing that in geriatrics we always look at, um, so there are, I mean, falls certainly are, are common. Um, but one thing that we look at are, are there any potentially precipitating, are, are there any um, things that potentially, or any places where we could intervene to prevent falls from happening? So um, one thing that I think changes, or one thing that does change as we age is, and this is a, a common scenario that I see, is that you have people that maybe for a lot of their lives, they've been on a medication like Valium or Ativan or something like that to help them sleep or to help with anxiety. And maybe they've been very stable on that medication for many years. As you get older, our ability to metabolize medications change, um, and medications like that can contribute to, um, it, well, it, it can contribute to cognitive cognitive changes, but it also can contribute to balance problems and falls. Um, so that's something that needs to be looked at. Um, having arthritic conditions also can um, contribute to falls too. So, um, and the, the reason why I'm, I'm going back and answering your question this way is because it, it, it does play a part. So yes, staying, um, staying active and exercising is important. It's important for um, balance. It's important to keep your strength. It's important to prevent falls. So yes, that, that is something that's important. And Dr. Cavaluzzi, you make house calls, correct? Uh, that's correct. Yes, we do. We make house calls. And that's a wonderful thing too. Again, you can assess the situation in the home and mitigate the fall risks. Um, so, and, and it's refreshing to see, um, you know, that great bedside manner and home visits. Doctor, you've given us such wonderful information. How can any listeners and viewers connect with you? Uh, you have a website, if you can share that. Uh, sure, thank you. Uh, the website is um, www.geriatricmedicalassociates.com. Uh, and our phone number, the office number is 914-505-6142. And you're right in White Plains in the heart of Westchester. Um, you we're know, in White Plains, yes. 
looking at the patient as a whole, again, means also understanding who their caregivers are, their family. I'm sure you have many important discussions with family members present, and a big part of what you do must be advising them as well, uh, the implications and choices of treatment. Absolutely, yeah. And and to that end, you know, it, you know, it's important also, I think, to um, being sure that um, your wishes are written down. And, and um, a lot of my patients do have living wills and they'll sit with their attorneys and uh, who draft these, these documents. But I think it's also important, um, and a, a lot of patients don't know what's uh, most form. It's referred to as a most form medical orders for life-sustaining treatment. Um, a most form is basically an, an order from your doctor which um, says that I've had this conversation with my patient or their proxy, and we'll touch on a healthcare proxy too. And um, this is what their wishes are. Um, they do not want CPR. Um, they would not want to be intubated, which is where they, if you are having a lot of trouble breathing, they, they put a tube down your throat to help you. Um, I would not want dialysis. I would not want a feeding tube, or maybe I do. And the doctor has this conversation with you and goes over everything and, and checks off all the boxes and you sign it, you uh, witness signs it, your doctor signs it. Uh, and that's an important document to have. That's a document here in New York State. Anybody can look it up if you were to just Google uh, MOLST, M-O-L-S-T. Okay. Um, and you can see that, that, that form. Um, if you don't have one, I do advise downloading it, bringing it to your doctor, having the conversation with them, and then having one filled out and then... Um, when you do have it filled out, you know, keep it. We, we always tell people either keep it on the refrigerator um, or maybe even keep it behind your door, too. Um, this way, if, if there ever is an, an emergency, an EMS comes to it's the It's an identifi identifiable place. Absolutely. Make your yep, plans, exactly. but then make your plans and then keep them, communicate them, let people know where to find them. So important. We always try exactly. to stress that. Dr. Cavaluzzi, thank you for your insights. Dr. Paul Cavaluzzi, Geriatric Medical Associates, uh, 914-505-6142. Give him a call today. And this is Jen Graziano thanking you for taking the time to listen as we took the time to talk. Have a great day, Westchester. Bye-bye.